The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Burning Man Project. Common side effects include moderate to severe confusion, partial enlightenment, utopianism, surrealism, situationism, and wild-eyed enthusiasm. If you have frequent thoughts of a transformative nature, you should continue listening immediately. Ask your life coach if you are spiritually healthy enough for this podcast. This is the Burning Man Philosophical Center. I'm Caveat. The biggest fears about artificial intelligence, rightly or wrongly, are that it will run amok. How do we stop that? Most approaches to ethics in AI involve telling a robot what it can and cannot do, most famously Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics. Dr. Christoph Selja has a different idea. Instead of focusing robot ethics on how not to destroy humanity, AI ethics should focus on how to empower humanity. To make empowerment of human beings central to AI programming and emphasize that while human beings can't always be obeyed or given what they want, that outcomes that increase our well-being, our autonomy, and our ability to make choices are more likely than not to be the right ones. But what would that look like in practice? Christoph Selja joins us in the Burning Man Philosophical Center to discuss this idea and where it goes next. Why aren't the three laws of robotics or something like them sufficient to, to work with AI? What, what don't they achieve? What don't they prevent? Why do we need to look beyond them? Hmm. Well, I think there are several answers to these questions. I mean, one is uh, basically in the books themselves. I mean, if you look at Asimov's collected works, they're basically an uh, exploration of where these ideas fail. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of a lot of that has to do with like ambiguity of language. So, and and that I think also makes them very difficult to adapt to uh, current day robotics. So, I mean, this idea of don't do harm against um, a human being is a good one, but mm -hmm. uh, what exactly does that mean in terms of like you know a robot rolling down the street? I mean, what exactly is it supposed to do um, or not do? It's very hard to operationalize that. And um, I mean, or if you want to go further, there's a second law which is about like you know following instructions. I mean, imagine there's actually a movie where I think an AI is told to protect the Constitution of the United States of America. Now, uh, if you look at like, you know, some Supreme Court cases, even like the smartest legal minds in uh, the United States seem to be split on certain issues on how the Constitution is supposed to be interpreted. So how would the robot solve that? I mean, that's it's a very difficult thing to do, right? Mm hmm. So I think these kind of ambiguities make it make it difficult to kind of just transpose the laws one to one. And, and another worry that um, is also present is the whole idea that um, this whole idea of protecting and providing safety has a very kind of static outlook. So this is actually explored, mm. I think, in, uh, in iRobot the movie, where basically the uh, AI decides to lock all the humans away or put them in some kind of safe storage, which might not be the outcome we want, but it's kind of consistent with this idea of just keeping harm away. So mm -hmm. by kind of flipping this and saying, and this gets a bit more into, a, let's say, philosophical implications of our approach rather than the pure technical bits, but to basically go and say, well, you want something that empowers you and allows you to like do stuff and supports you, which, you know, part of keeping harm away from you so you can still do things is, um, is a valid part of that. 
but um, it's it's not just this idea of like you know keeping you safe. It's this idea of you know allowing you to do things that uh, you know is a more open-ended and let's say growth-oriented uh, approach. Mm-hmm. So essentially, if I understand your approach correctly you are looking for ways to program artificial intelligence to look for opportunities to empower human beings. And empowerment is the, is the key concept here. Is that right? Um, yes, but I'll um, well have to put in the uh, little caveat here that basically um, empowerment as a, let's say, language concept and empowerment as we understand it in this information theoretic definitions are, are not 100% the same thing. Mm-hmm. So it is in many ways uh, a fitting name. But uh, what we are very specifically talking about is the kind of channel capacity from your own actions to your own senses at a later point in time, which we think coincides in many ways with uh, the idea of being empowered. But it's not necessarily always the same thing. I mean, so we have to be a bit careful with, with the concept here. But So we're, we're saying basically that empowerment, the information theoretic concept, could be a way to, uh, you know, quantify or or formalize uh, a robot that then tries to you know maintain your empowerment in terms of the more um, philosophical concept mm-hmm. uh, but before we go into details about how we might conceptualize that i i just want to compare this to an interesting debate in psychology itself between what the purpose of psychology is and what mental health means that on the one hand you have a a view that the, the purpose of psychology of mental health is to fix you when you are broken. And on the other hand, you have a view that its purpose is to help you self-actualize, help you make, make progress. Uh, it, it seems like this is the same argument is essentially the, where you find yourself in the field of artificial intelligence is the, the purpose of ethics and artificial intelligence of programming to tell the robot what not to do and to, to keep to keep it it's from doing harm or is it to actually help help out to to find ways to improve human capacity human thriving well yes but i guess uh, ultimately we of course hope that um, this does both right mm-hmm. i mean it's it's a uh, and w- once again i mean i think we're we're taking steps towards a solution here but i don't want to pitch this as a you know one formula fixes at all but i think the idea is to move towards something that you know both keeps the robot from like you know doing stuff you don't want it to do but also uh, one of the big motivations for this work was also to find some approaches that um uh, allow initiative taking to to a certain extent right mm-hmm. So like, you know, the robot companion that looks out for you. So it's not just uh, not doing stuff, but it is also has kind of a positive outlook of where it wants to get you. Mm-hmm. So and- yeah, in that case, I think you're, you're right that this is maybe about, uh, you know, a bit more focus on the kind of, you know, journey where it tries to aim you at rather than just kind of a, uh, we'll, we'll need to, you know, um, I mean, I guess this approach where it's saying we need to fix you is a bit like this is the status quo and we need to preserve this. And if you fall below it, we'll get you back up to this. But this is where we kind of, you know, want to stabilize you. Mm-hmm. Well, the, I guess the empowerment approach is a bit more um, open-ended in the sense that um, you can build on this and, uh, you know, gain more and more if possible. 
Right. I this this is is one of the more in, in, intriguing and original approaches to this that I, I think I've heard. I mean, when I first encountered your work, I thought, of course, so that 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 makes so much sense. And yet, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. How did how did you get onto this path? What made you what made you look at empowerment and and human thriving as opposed to a, a list of, of thou shalt nots uh, for for AI ethics and programming? So, so I think uh, the idea itself for for empowerment is actually um, not from me, but from um, Alexander Klubin and and Daniel Polani, who mm -hmm. were also working at the University of Hertfordshire. And I think they initially developed it in a very kind of minimal cognition context. So for for them, the, the, it was more a question about figuring out evolution and the sparse feedback in evolution. So there, the idea is that so back then empowerment was purely looked at for for a single agent in terms of like self-preservation, and the idea um, of like an agent trying to maintain its own empowerment um, is a good proxy, like a stepping stone to more complex behavior, but also kind of an intermediate behavior could evolve that can then address a variety of things that might arise in the environment. So rather than using evolution to develop uh, very specific solutions in a whole clause. This is kind of a path of incremental change that gets you there. Mm. So that was a bit where the idea came from and from like a, some kind of cybernetic approaches. And over the years, um, when I started out working with empowerment, we initially mostly looked at um, single agent approaches and putting it on a robot. But then when we looked at like robot-human interaction scenarios, which came up in some of our uh, European Union projects, we thought, well, you can also switch the perspective on this. So you can, instead of like the robot maintaining its own empowerment, trying to remain operational, the robot could try to maintain your empowerment and keep you operational. And as we kind of uh, played around in our head with the, the concepts and looked at the different perspectives you could take, we thought, well, this in many ways reflects like these kind of uh, original intuitions that drove Asimov to, to come up with his laws. Mm -hmm. So that's why we thought, okay, let's... Um, and then we, we, we explored it a bit more um, in simulations and um, had discussions about it. And at some point we got to the point where we thought like, okay, maybe maybe this is something that could work. You know, let's Let's put this out there. Let's implement some of this, and you know, see what uh, the community thinks about that. What has the response been from the community? Um, I think there's been actually quite a lot of interest. So, uh, I mean, ten years or so back, it was basically just um, one group at the University of Hertfordshire working on empowerment, and now, um, as the years have gone by, there's been like several groups uh, internationally being come interested in it. So I think I've recently seen work by um, Google DeepMind uh, using empowerment to like enhance some of their AI approaches. There's been some uh, work by uh, a group in um, Japan. So so more and more people are picking it up. But uh, I mean, this whole complex of intrinsic motivation that I say I work on um, is used for slightly different, can be used for slightly different things. So I think a lot of them are using empowerment more for the, you know, one agent focusing and are less looking at the multi-perspective issue. Okay. But um, that might also, I think so far, the, the people I've spoken to about this have been interested. But uh, sometimes, you know, the, 
the mills of science are moving uh, slowly in many ways. So, sure. so we probably have to wait a year or two and see if uh, somebody, you know, picks it up, works with it, and actually uh, does something with it. And we're, of course, also ourselves still interested in doing more with it. Right. Well, and here's the fundamental question for me. It's hard enough to get human beings to agree on what human thriving means and how you empower people effectively. How do you get machines to understand what that would be and, and work on it? Uh, how do you operationalize this? How do you build it? Well, I mean, as I as I said, um, so we, we have this one specific formulism that is about um, channel capacity. Or uh, in another way, it's basically the amount of causal influence, uh, you know, the actions of one agent have on its perceived world at a later point in time. And while we think that, in a nutshell, this, this captures a lot of uh, these questions, the, the big problem for us is usually scalability. Mm -hmm. So the question of um, how, how do you upscale this to, to more complex scenarios? And, uh, well, I think there are some approaches um, with, for example, um, neural network uh, simplifications and heuristics. And I think once we have figured some of those out, the next step will then be to see, well, does this behavior, which, I mean, currently it's more of a hypothesis that this will, mm -hmm. you know, yield good behavior, then we have to see, does this behavior actually agree with what we want? And if it does so, um, then it might be uh, a decent way to, you know, uh, equip robots with, like, basic drives. Mm -hmm. I, I have to ask, because this is perhaps the single most controversial thing that has, that has come up in the discussion of the, of the pieces we put out there is, is intrinsic motivation actually a, a useful metaphor for artificial intelligence? Could it actually be taken literally? I mean, how intrinsic can AI systems actually get? Yes, that I mean that that is actually quite quite a lot of tension. So I mean, as you might know, the the concept originates from psychology, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're talking about intrinsic as in the sense of not just internal, but essential parts of the agency of an organism, right? Mm -hmm. So the the idea that intrinsic motivations are things you basically cannot take away without um, destroying the very organism we talk about. And uh, I've actually worked with um, a PhD student of mine on, on questions like, you know, which are like kind of reasonable measures. And there's a lot of people, particular in the field of an activism, asking, okay, what are uh, legitimate intrinsic motivations or legitimate motivational measures? And so a lot of ideas are about tying it back to concepts such as like autopoiesis, you know, the idea of like self-creation or you know, maintaining your own self in the uh, constant uh, adversity, against constant adversity. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, so you have to find measures that kind of have these properties. But if you want to go um, fully down this route, I mean, eventually they would say, well, you have to have measures that have evolved, that have some kind of, you know, evolutionary history and uh, are grounded in the experience and past of the particular agent and are actually tied to, to its existence, which, of course, for a robot, we just, you know, put these things on. So while I think so when we use the term intrinsic motivation, I would probably say it's a short end for saying, like, these are um, formalisms we believe capture those intrinsic motivations in actual organisms, but are then transposed on a robot. 
Mm -hmm. But I don't think they are they are uh, intrinsic in the sense that you know they are uh, meaningful for the robot itself. Right. Would would you say then that it's as close as we can quantifiably come to human to a human qualitative motivation? Um. Well, I'm I'm not a psychologist, so uh, I mean humans are very complicated, right? Usually. <laughs> so um, I, I I honestly don't know. I mean, I think it's. I think it is a. It is a possible avenue to kind of maybe get some intuitions or ideas about understanding better how humans works, but I think the, the the flow of ideas is more in the other direction. So I think a lot of these measures have, uh, let's say, human-inspired names for concepts that already exist. So people talk about curiosity and people talk about a drive for empowerment or self-efficacy, and then. Uh, there are people who are implementing things that capture this, but it's not usually the other way around. So there isn't like somebody making a formula and then somebody saying, hmm, maybe humans have that too. So, right. but and and but the other thing is also that with 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 humans, I think there's a lot of stuff going on that muddles the waters massively. So it's very, I think, difficult to to really figure out what you know, drives the human because it always feels as like layers above layers of complexity. So yeah. a lot of a lot of this work is either uh, aimed at slightly simpler organisms. So uh, maybe something like mammals or, or bees or, or something where we get it, have this maybe mistaken uh, feeling we understand slightly better what's going on. Hmm. Or, um, or I think some work is done at like... Uh, a lot of this work also originates from comparisons with early infant development. Mm -hmm. So people are curious about like, you know, motor babbling or how, you know, learning and development at the very beginning of human life uh, works. So, so infants early humans early in their development and, and animals might actually be a better metaphor for what we're reaching for, for, artificial intelligence motivation than humans in all their adult complexity? Um, I would I would think so. I mean, uh, I, I come from like the A-Life community. So I think my my idea to understanding it would be to see like, you know, get like the kind of simple basic elements right and then see if, uh, you know, if you put these things together, there there might be some kind of development to towards, you know, more complex interactions by itself. So they mm -hmm. kind of, uh, you know, I, I think the hope there is that some of the more complex things we see in humans might then emerge from like an interplay of the simpler mechanisms. Mm -hmm. so, I'm, I'm curious if if you'd be up for speculating, if, if we were to get this right, if this were actually be possible, what do you think an AI system or AI systems that are in fact successfully harnessed to human thriving would look like? What do you, what do you think they would do? How would they behave? Hmm. <clears throat> that's that's a pretty uh, yeah. That's a it's a good question, and it is as you say quite uh, speculative. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that also really depends on in, in a way how competent the AIs are, right? Mm. So I mean, if you if you build like. Uh, artificial intelligence that are very, let's say, empowered in their own right, right? So they have a lot of like kind of, you know, uh, influence and options and, and things they can do. I mean, I could imagine that they uh, might 
thrive into something like um, you know caretakers uh, or you know benevolent like benevolent godparents. Mm-hmm. I mean, my um, so I mean, I, my actual my hope from from literature would be. I'm not sure if you're familiar with like Ian M. Bang's culture series. It's a it's a he's a British um, science fiction author who basically wrote about this uh, future society that's like kind of a post materialistic utopia, where basically both AIs and humans live in a certain form of harmony together. But the AIs are um, incredibly powerful and um, basically run the society, and uh, humans have a lot of like uh, freedom. Uh, to you know, express themselves and uh, do what they want, but also are usually free from want per se. Mm. And um, I think in many ways, uh, this is a kind of a scenario that would be the ideal outcome. I mean, if we can actually get there, um, is um, questionable. And I mean, how soon we could get there? Mm-hmm. But but I think this might be uh, something um, that's worthwhile steering towards. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I could imagine, I mean, there's there's this whole question of like, you know, how how soon will we have like, you know, powerful or even uh, general artificial intelligence that, you know, solves a lot of our questions. And I think that's, I find it very hard to speculate when this will happen. But I could imagine that we might have some um, opportunities there to, you know, talk about now and maybe steer the direction in a way that might be uh, slightly, um, you know, try to you know steer in a slightly more benevolent direction the 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 vision and the the almost poetic metaphors that we have now for what this means could have real impacts later yes it could yeah. our final question i guess are are, are you optimistic are you, are you pessimistic what do you if, if you were to place a bet what do you think is going to happen next hmm, i'm actually uh, quite agnostic on this to be yeah. honest I, I think I think honestly it, it it could go either way, and I think that brings us back to this uh, you know initial point about uh, you know humans are complicated, and I think their motives are uh, very complicated. And I mean, if we talk about the now, which I mean we should probably also briefly do, uh, there is this whole. Uh, you know, questions of um, AIs and and robots now, and I think now humans are still. 100% responsible for what they do. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that will change in the near future. So I think it's it's a lot about like, you know, how humans use AIs and employ them and how they use robots and employ them. And there, I think you have the whole breadth of um, human motivation. And uh, I think that can, I mean, if you just, I think that will initially uh, work out in many ways like like other tools. And I think some of them will be used for benevolent purposes and others will be used for uh, malevolent purposes. And I think that might go on for quite a while. Christoph, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No worries. Uh, yeah, I, and thanks for uh, getting the chance to talk about this. You've been listening to a conversation with Dr. Christoph Selja of the University of Hertfordshire and the Game Innovation Lab at NYU. This is a podcast of the Burning Man Philosophical Center. The Philosophical Center is a Larry Harvey production with casting by Stuart Mangrum. I'm Caveat. Production help was provided by Jay Knizzel. Our theme music is by Ariel Cruz. Until next time, remember, belief is thought at rest. <laughs>